Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That sounds a little better than what we were just reading. Although that was pretty good too. So, so welcome everyone. And a special welcome to any visitors that are here with us. And we hope that you enjoy your time with us this morning. We've been looking through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9 is where we're at now. The sermon series that we've been going through. And so if you want to turn there with me now in Romans chapter 9, we are going to finish off this chapter today. In Romans chapter 9. And in this chapter and in the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul was trying to reason with the Jews. He was pointing out that those who are truly God's people are those who follow not the law of Moses, but are the ones that are, that are spiritual Israel. They are not the ones who follow the law of Moses. They are not the ones descended from physical Israel. They are spiritual Israel. Those are the true people of God. They are the ones who live by faith, just as Abraham did, and they are his heirs. Let me start off with Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. That goes along with that thought. And as I mentioned in the past, if you read Romans and Galatians side by side, you're going to see a lot of parallelism, a lot of stuff that Paul talked about in both of those books. He talked about the same thing. And so Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29 says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are going to talk about this passage at the end of the lesson. But for now, let's start looking at our section in Romans chapter 9, starting at verses 25 down to the bottom of the chapter. Where let's start by reading verse 25. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. So this is a, a quote from Hosea, which the Apostle Paul used to make a point here. Originally, Hosea had said this referring to the ten tribes of Israel. And I say ten tribes of Israel because at that point, they had the ten tribes which made up the northern kingdom, and then they had the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin. So it was known as the kingdom of Judah. And so, Paul applied to his audience what was stated to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel. And there's a list of the ten tribes there. And so, Paul had applied to his audience what was stated to the northern kingdom. He said, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. So the northern kingdom at that time of Hosea was considered a kingdom of outcasts. And these people did not have a covenant relationship with God. The Lord had established his covenant with the southern kingdom, with the kingdom of Judah. But Hosea said time was coming when God would make those who are not his people, his people. Paul was saying that God is establishing a covenant with people who are not his people. Take a look at verse 26 now. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And so, again, this verse is from Hosea. According to a lot of Bible commentators, they believe that this verse is not talking about the calling of Gentiles, but rather the recalling of the rejected Jews, the northern kingdom. The Israelites were told in Hosea that they would be scattered and rejected for their idolatry, 
And so they were cast off as if they were not his people. But they would be called again. They would be called to be sons of the living God. And so both passages of Hosea correspond with what Paul said in verses 22 to 24. Just before we get into this section, just before he quotes those two verses from Hosea, we read in verses 22 to 24, this is what Paul had said. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? So, with that context and these two passages of, of Hosea that he's talking about, helps us to understand a little bit more. So he applies this to the rejected Jews of Hosea's time. He applies this to the Jews that had decided to still follow God and came to Christ. And he applies this to the Gentiles. It's three different groups. They would all be called to this new covenant. One founded in Christ, founded in faith. They will all be called his people who are not his people. So verses 27 and 28 now. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. So after quoting two verses from Hosea, he turns and he quotes two verses, or from Hosea, yeah, and then he quotes two verses from the prophet Isaiah. So he turns to another prophet. So the first one we just read, and we're going to read the second one from Isaiah in just a minute. But if any of Paul's listeners doubted what Hosea said, then him quoting Isaiah would, would reinforce things for them. It would confirm it. So as one Bible commentator, Albert Barnes, said, Isaiah brings forth the doctrine fully and without any concealment or disguise. This doctrine related to the rejection of the Jews. A far more difficult point to establish than was that of the calling of the Gentiles. It was needful, therefore, to fortify it by some explicit passage of the scriptures. So, in other words, Paul, after quoting two verses from Hosea, if that wasn't enough, he turns to, to Isaiah and quotes two verses from Isaiah. And just to make sure that he reinforces his point, that he gets his point across. Paul said only the remnant will be saved. So, what's he talking about? Who's the remnant? What is going on? Well, some Israelites who were cast off would be saved, but many would not. Remember that these are passages that he quoted from Hosea. It's talking about the northern tribe, the northern kingdom. So out of the many Israelites, only a small portion or part would be saved. It is the same for us today. Only a small amount of the world's population will be saved. Those who accept and obey Jesus and his gospel. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, up on the screen for you. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so, it is the same for us today. Not everybody is going to be saved. Verse 29, take a look, and here's the other passage from Isaiah that he quotes. So he says, it is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. Well, the American Standard Version and the King James Version translates it like this. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. 
So the Greek word translated as descendants in the NIV and seed in the King James Version and other translations means this. Something sown, that is seed, by implication offspring, more specifically a remnant. And so the Apostle Paul and the prophet Isaiah had remnant in mind. This is what we're talking about. A remnant, something that is left over. The ones who would truly follow God by faith. The use of the word descendants in my mind makes me think of that passage we talked about from Galatians. About Abraham, the true descendants of Abraham. Those who live by faith in Jesus. So Paul was saying, if God had not left people surviving or kept from destruction a remnant, then we would have come under destruction just like these two ancient cities. That's what he's saying. If God had not saved a certain, a small amount of people from the northern tribe, they would have ended up just like Sodom and Gomorrah. It would have been destroyed. So you might remember in our last lesson we talked about God showing mercy to whom he shows mercy. Well, that's kind of what he's talking about. He's continuing this thought about how God shows mercy. Paul continued to to talk about mercy here in this section. The Israelites from the northern tribe, they had become so corrupt, but yet God left enough of the righteous to be a seed for a future harvest of true believers. He kept a small number who were righteous among the corruption of the nation. So think about it. The, The whole nation is so corrupt, but yet he saves a small amount of people. You might remember the account of Abraham pleading for Sodom in Genesis 18, you remember what happened in that section, in that account, where, where Abraham is pleading with God to spare Sodom, and God starts with one number, and he continues, if you can find this many righteous people, then I'll spare it. And he gets down to ten, and he says, if you can find ten righteous people, I'll spare Sodom. Well, he would not destroy Sodom, but he would destroy Sodom, but only Lot and his wife and his two daughters would escape. So you remember, he couldn't even find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. He could only find Lot and his wife and his two daughters, four people. And they were rescued and they were brought out of Sodom by the help of two angels. And so the city was destroyed. And here's a picture of what it looked like. God destroyed Sodom by fire. And that's what it was like. So in this picture, you see it's depicted. Well, it's a little hard to see, isn't it? But anyways, there's supposed to be two angels and Lot and his daughters. And in the background, you see the city destroyed by fire. And so, in the case of the northern tribe of Israel, it wasn't like this. There was enough righteous people that God spared it. And that's what we're talking about here. There was enough that was spared from the destruction. The remnant would be joined in with the faithful Jews that he's talking to here, and they would be joined in with the Gentiles, and those who are not God's people would be called his people. So, verses 30 and 31 now, back in our text. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Well, the Apostle Paul asked the question that he knew a lot of these Jews must have been thinking and that they must have been asking themselves. Why did the Gentiles obtain righteousness by faith when they weren't even God's people? And they did not even obey him. They were very far from God. Why do they obtain righteousness? But here they are, they follow the law of righteousness, and they don't attain righteousness. They don't get it. So the Jews were a hard people to deal with at that time. The Roman Empire, the Roman government, had a very time, hard time dealing with them. And they even had to put a stop to them rebelling on a couple of occasions. If you go back and look at the history, you'll see that the Jews had rebelled, and the Romans had to 
to take care of that and squash that. They were prideful people. They thought they were justified before God because they followed the law of Moses. So Paul answers the question, why did the Jews not attain or obtain righteousness, but the Gentiles did in the next couple of verses? Verses 22, 32, and 33 now, the last two verses of this section. And this is what Paul says in dealing with that question. He says, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So many of the Jews did not believe and accept Jesus as Lord. Jesus was a stumbling block to them. They tripped over Jesus and lost their way as they were traveling on the road to heaven. Jesus was a problem for them. When you think about it, they had grown so comfortable in following the law that to be told to put it aside and follow Jesus now, they weren't willing to do it. They said, what? Are you kidding me? We've been doing this this way for this long. Now you just want us to put it aside and follow Jesus. But the Gentiles were willing to listen to Jesus. They're willing to do it. They accepted Jesus and they accepted his gospel willingly, very quickly. Because the Gentiles accepted and obeyed him, they were justified. And they received the righteousness that is by faith. A righteousness that is from God, but received by faith. So the Gentiles became the people of God by faith, as did some of the Jews who also believed and obeyed Jesus. It is the same for us today. Only those who accept Jesus as Lord and believe in him and obey him become God's people. In the last verse, we are told that the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. The Greek word for put to shame could have also been translated as disgraced or dishonored. Disgraced or dishonored. So if we believe and trust Jesus, if we continue to do so, we will receive grace and honor that we can never lose. God will make sure of that. So Jesus is the rock of our salvation. But Jesus is a stumbling block or a stone to those who refuse to believe in him and follow him. And that's where we're at today. It's still the same way. It was that way in the first century. It's still that way now. That Jesus is a stumbling block for some. But Jesus is the only way to be saved. God's covenant with the Jews came to an end, and he established a new covenant. That is for everyone. Those who are under the new covenant are the real descendants of Abraham, are the true descendants of Abraham. They are spiritual Israel. They are the true remnant of God and have become God's people by faith. A while ago, we looked at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. Let's read that again. You are all sons, of course, and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you see that he's talking about the same thing here as he was in that text in Romans chapter 9. Being saved and right in the eyes of God does not depend on how good a person you are. It doesn't depend on how many people you've helped in your lifetime. It doesn't depend on how often you pray in a day. Being saved starts with believing in who Jesus is and then responding to the gospel. That's where it starts. You have to clothe yourself with Christ. You have to put on Christ through the waters of baptism. 
Then you will belong to him, and you will be Abraham's seed. And you will look forward to a life in heaven if you remain faithful to Christ to the end. Everything begins with Christ. That's the starting point. So have you responded to the message that saves you? Have you done that? Have you been united with Christ in baptism? If you have not done that yet, please don't put it off. Do that today. But if you have done that, if you're here and you have done that, then you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's seed. And I challenge you to live your life for him and no longer for yourself. Love and serve Jesus with all your heart. I'm going to finish with the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, which says this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you are here, if you have clothed yourself with Christ, then we need to live for Christ. We need to live serving him. If you are here today and you have not clothed yourself with Christ, won't you do that this morning as we sing our invitation song?